This is Women in a Day, a podcast created to give a deep look at the daily lives of women of all kinds, from sunrise to sunset, with Jenny Halzer and Portia Hensley. Hello, and welcome to Women in a Day podcast. Today, we have a very, very exciting guest named Rachel Esters. Jenny, tell us about Rachel. I would love to. Rachel is a retired sheriff's lieutenant. She retired after 22 years of service and is currently a correctional consultant and speaker. Rachel is a former TED Talk speaker presenting on the topic of correctional management, focusing on a program that humanizes treatment of high-risk inmates. Rachel, I can't even tell you how excited we are to talk to you today. Well, me too. I'm super excited. (laughs) Welcome, Rachel. Thank you. All right, Rachel. So the first thing that we ask all our guests is what is your favorite part of your day? I think my favorite part of the day is the morning uh, because it's always, you know, it's a new start. Uh, I get to get my coffee. I get to get things organized. Uh, think about things I want to accomplish. I'm always, I'm fresh, I'm in a good place, I'm raring to go. Rachel, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about your history. There's a lot to unpack here, so. Yeah, there's a lot. (laughs) And I think it starts really back from when you were a child. So, I mean, kind of Reader's Digest version, but tell us kind of what your journey has been. Sure, well, I was born in Reno, Nevada, I uh, was adopted. Uh, my parents, or my father was a military officer. And I started school in, actually started school in Germany, but started grade school in Omaha, Nebraska in the 60s, uh, which was exciting, not always in a good way. Uh, my father was a super strong military uh, officer uh, wanted me to be uh, president of the United States and that kind of thing. And I grew up during civil rights and so um, just achieving and, and um, working through being uh, the only black person at my school and the only black person in the neighborhood and, and all the, the, the kind of negatives um, was uh, predominant in, in my days growing up. Tell us, what was your name, Rachel? What was so, your name? Just, so I was born Michael. And with Michael David Esters, and uh, I always felt growing up that, uh, and more importantly, so I felt when at a period of time when boys and girls went separate directions, I always felt that I was going in the wrong direction. I was in the wrong line, Uh, you know, until a certain age, boys and girls, at least in my generation, boys and girls played together, and then at a certain age, they just kind of went their separate ways. And when that happened, I just didn't know how to cope. I didn't know why I was in the wrong line, why I was required to do all the boy things and I couldn't do the girl things. And I, I, I can remember wanting to socialize with the girls and not the boys. And I can remember checking a, a jump rope out at recess rather than um, a baseball or a bat or something like that. So it's something that was always inside me. I always felt that my body and, and society didn't allow me to be the gender that I was supposed to be, and I was kind of trapped uh, in this what I call armor. And again, it's during the civil rights movement, black family, white neighborhood, we're trying to make it. Um, the last thing that I could ever bring up or hope to address would be um, gender issues. It just didn't exist back then, at least to me. It didn't even exist other than what I was going through. You still did a lot of masculine things, didn't you? 
masculine things. So I wanted to please my father, and uh, I wanted to please my mother, and I wanted to, uh, since there was literally, logically, nothing I could do about this this whole gender issue, um, my entire life I just kind of balled it up and kind of tucked it away. So I did all the masculine things. I played football, and I was a high school wrestler, and uh, I dated girls, and I, I did all the things throughout my life that were expected of me. You know, later in life, I got married, I had children. When in the military, I was in the Air Force, and, and I was also in the Army. Uh, I was a paratrooper, I jumped out of airplanes. I did all the male things, <laughs> and it, it even seems like when this gender issue I was dealing with in this tightly wrapped ball, it seemed like when it was starting to come unwrapped and I was starting to see it again, that I was just do something even more masculine to kind of armor myself and, and to, um, to get away from that. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, but that's, I have to say, objectively speaking, that's crazy. You did every male thing short of having an action movie, I think. <laughs> Well, then she got into the most one of the most male professions, which is law enforcement. How old were you when you went into law enforcement, Rachel? Well, I, I was in the military initially at 17. Uh, I went in the Air Force. I dropped out of high school to go in the Air Force. Then I got out of the Air Force four years later, and I was in law enforcement for about three years as a patrol officer in Broomfield, Colorado. I, I think I was, I'm pretty sure I was their first black police officer. Then I went back in the service. I went in the army and got out of the army in 1992 and was still in the National Guard. And I joined the Lamar County Sheriff's Office at that time and stayed there for 22 years. And, and can I say this about um, the whole gender thing? I mean, regardless of male or female, people have their own personality quirks or, or strengths and weaknesses. And I've always been a person that wanted to achieve. And I, I don't know that that can be tied to gender as much as I just want to achieve. I want to do well, and I, maybe that's something that my parents instilled in me. No, that makes a lot of sense. But I'm sure during that time, in all your years, um, you know, especially at Larimer County, were you seeing things change within the department in terms of gender? Were you starting to notice a transition at all, or did it stay pretty much the same, in your opinion? No, this was before or after my transition. Before? You know, I think that law enforcement moves very slow, and I did not see a lot of change in gender. And a lot of things go on behind doors. As I rose through the ranks, I became a sergeant, later a lieutenant, the treatment of women behind closed doors as far as promotions are concerned or assignments, there's still a lot of negative gender bias that's utilized to make those decisions. And, and most of the people making those decisions are men. So I think that there may have been some improvement over the last 20 years, but I think the improvement's been very minor. Do you think that maybe that was a reason that it took you a while to come out because you saw how women were treated in law enforcement and you didn't want to be on that end of it? I mean, you had already you already had your uphill climb being African-American and now you had another kind of minority status in this profession. Was that intimidating? 
Well, I, I think it was certainly scary. I think one of the things that took me so long is because I didn't know how else to wrap this up in a ball and, and, and hide it away anymore. I was wearing this male armor uh, 24 hours a day, and I, it was preventing me from having the kind of relationships I wanted and, and really even understanding myself because I was wrapped in this armor. And I just got to the point that if I wanted to survive as a, as a person, as an entity, that I really needed to do something, and that was a transition. I, I knew that women were treated differently in, in our society and certainly in, in, in a great deal in law enforcement, but it wasn't until I transitioned that I, I, I was able to experience that firsthand for myself. And um, some of the experiences just blew me away. They were uh, surreal. So let's back up a little bit. Uh-huh. Tell us about where you were when you kind of made this decision in life. You, you're a lieutenant for Larimer County Sheriff's Office. You're married. You have a family. Tell us about kind of where you are and what was the catalyst for your decision to transition. Well, this was my second marriage. I was married, and I'd been married for about five years at that point. I had stepchildren, and, and I had biological children, and... Um, my career was going great. I just finished uh, Northwestern uh, Command School in uh, Chicago, and I, I was a newly promoted lieutenant, and I had initiated a project at the jail to uh, change the way that we manage high security and at-risk inmates. And I was receiving awards and, and accolades, and I was doing very well. But the area I wasn't doing super great in is interpersonal communication because I was wearing this armor around. And when I started peeling back the layers of my inability to have really good relationships with people, I just came right back around to this, the whole issue of gender. By this point, Rachel, had you fully realized it within yourself, I am meant to be a woman, and at some point I need to realize that? Had you kind of acknowledged that, or...? That's the point I came to. I, I realized all my life that my gender was always supposed to be female. I was always supposed to be a woman. I, I realized that from the, you know, the time I became self-aware. Doing something about it is a whole other matter. And I come to the point in my life that uh, if I were going to move forward and I was going to have a positive life, and if I was going to be true to myself, that this is something that I had to do. I had to face this and I had to deal with this whole transition. Did you have anyone that you were able to talk to about this at all? Well, I had a friend and uh, her name is Stacy and she was uh, another lieutenant uh, at the uh, agency with me. Uh, when I approached her about it, I had coffee with her. I told her, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know, in fact, I know you don't know this, but I'm a transgender person and, and I'm thinking about transitioning. And, and in fact, she made me um, kind of vocalize the definition of transgender because she thought I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> because I live my life so male, I, I mean, so hyper male that for other people to uh, accept this or to understand or to hear this, it was as if you were saying, you know, we're going to the moon tomorrow. It was just an impossibility. Right. And once, I, and Stacy was incredibly open, and once I explained everything, then Stacy said, well, you know, 
I'll help you. Whatever mm-hmm. you need to do, I'm here for you. And she was throughout my transition, which is important because that's the one friend I kept. But I lost most of my friends throughout this whole transition. Wow. Tell us about your transition. You know, there's so many things involved in transition. There's physically transitioning. There is socially transitioning. Um, the physically, I started taking uh, hormones, which started to change my body slowly and, and uh, also started to change the way I felt emotionally. Now, these are just my experiences, and they're probably different for everybody. But to, to kind of explain the difference in, in emotion before and after um, with hormones is that as a man, I, I always ran away from emotion. And as a woman, I ran to emotion. <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> it, was, it was huge, it, this big um, paradigm change. That's and a really good became, way to put it. <laughs> so emotions became something um, that were positive. Now, the physical transition, now when, when I started transitioning, so a couple different things. One is that transitioning in the workplace I announced that I was transitioning, and I, what I did is I, 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 at the time I had 130 deputies that worked for me, and um, about 15 of them were supervisors, and I sat each one down one at a time. I felt I owed them the conversation, and I told them about my transition, that what I was intending to do. And Larimer County is not a very diverse department, is it? Were, were there even other many black people? You know, for the most of, most of my career there, I was the only um, black person at Larimer County. Wow. Occasionally, another person would come and leave, but for the most part, I was the only African American. I'm sure I'm the only African American that rose to the rank of lieutenant uh, in the history of Larimer County. So you sat so, down 130 people individually. No, actually, oh. I said them the 15 supervisors. Okay, sorry. I thought you. Were, I was going to so say she was supervising <laughs> supervisors. Got it. Okay. So she All was right. on a second level. Okay, got it. I set them down one at a time, and I told them my story. And these were uh, 15 of the hardest conversations I ever had. I can remember one of the guys that I was talking to, and these were almost all men. I, I can remember one of the guys that I was talking to said um, during toward the end of the conversation, he said. Um, he says, Lieutenant, I, I can't move my hands. I, I said, what are you, what are you yeah. talking about? And he says, I can't. He's shocked. He's, he's in shock wow. um, to hear this story. And uh, he's having this um, kind of a physical reaction to the thing. And I, I, I asked them all to keep this private until I had a chance to talk to everyone. And and they did. They all honored that. That's really incredible. Was it traumatic for you to have to tell that over and over right. and over at that time, such a fragile time in your life? It was hard, but I think it, it felt like it was necessary. Mm-hmm. It felt like moving Cathartic. on, that I had to have a good foundation, and I needed to be very honest with people. I needed to get rid of some of the armor, and I needed to at, at least have one point where I'm able to explain who I am and how I feel and, and why I'm doing this. And just to clarify, Rachel, around what year is this? So this is 2014. Okay. All right, so tell us, so how did it go, the transition? What was it like? Okay, so um, I, I also... Um, came out to my, my sheriff. 
I called the HR manager and told her what was going on. And uh, I arranged for a meeting with my sheriff and I was bringing with me um, Stacy and, and the HR manager. And as soon as he found out several people were coming, he didn't know the subject of the meeting, he, he told me that I needed to provide him with a memo uh, of why I wanted to meet with him. So I came out to him in a three-page memo. <laughs> uh, just so that I could have a meeting, so that I could come out to him. And then I did, <laughs> which was a terribly awkward meeting. And there was a lot of um, talk about clothing and bathrooms and are you going to wear earrings and, and things like this. It felt very, very clunky. So They probably um, hadn't even prepared at all to have a transgender employee, right? They had no idea. They had no idea whatsoever what to do. The, I, the, I think um, probably the most knowledgeable person in the room was the HR manager, but, but the HR manager didn't have a plan either. Wow. So what happened? So What did it look uh, like? Well, um, you know, they, we, we talked about clothing and, and earrings, and I said, well, I will wear the clothing and, um, and, and items that, are appropriate for my gender, which is female. So that's what you're gonna see. I'll use the bathroom that's appropriate for my gender. And it was a short meeting and it was very, like I said, it was very awkward, but from there on I, I moved on and started to transition in the workplace. So at the time as a lieutenant, I wore business clothes to work and okay. I didn't wear a uniform very often. So I started to wear clothing that was feminine. And I didn't wear skirts for a while, but the rest of my clothing was all feminine. Do you remember the first day that you came to work in your feminine clothes? I can, and I remember being scared to death. I bet. Um, I'm sure. Because not only am I dealing with my staff in a leadership position, I'm dealing with my leaders, my conservative white male leaders. And I'm dealing with inmates. So we have a, you know, had an inmate population around 450. Did you and, interact um, with them? I still had to interact with them, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so I, I remember the, around the first day or the first week, I wore these red pants to work. Red pants and a tasteful uh, blouse and sweater. At some point after I wore the red pants, my boss approached Stacy and said, hey, you know, why does Rachel think it's okay to wear red jeans to work? And, and Stacy said, well, those aren't jeans. Those are just red pants. Later, Stacy, you know, she told me this, and she asked to borrow the pants. And uh, we were the same size. Nice. And uh, Stacy wore the pants to work uh, in a week or so. <laughs> and um, approached my boss and said, hey, what do you think of my outfit and, and, and these pants? He said, those are nice. He said, those, that looks very, you know, professional. Interesting. Now, that is. Now, we never, you know, it never went all the way around. So he, he was never in the realization where those pants originally came from. But it just, it really does, you know, point out how different people are treated, you know, in the workplace. You know, that there's different standards oh, for completely. men and different standards for women and different standards for transgender people in the workplace. How did your transition affect your marriage? It ended my marriage. Um, we, 
I wanted to talk to my wife about what I was going to do because I wasn't sure I was going to transition. And I wanted to have good conversations with her about what she thought and, you know, how I could move on from there. And um, she avoided me at every turn. Um, She wouldn't, didn't want to have those conversations and um, felt uh, awkward or, and I'm speaking for her and that's not fair, but didn't really want to have those conversations. And eventually I came home from work one day and, and this is before I really made the an out loud decision to transition, but I remember getting home from work, pulling into the garage, coming inside, and she was sitting at the in the kitchen and her first words were, I can't do this anymore. And And you were still really in love with her, weren't you? I was. And I can remember taking my wedding ring off and laying on the counter and, and not knowing what to do. I remember we hugged and I told her I loved her and she said she loved me and I can remember that night um, just being um, racked with grief and I I never realized you could get physically ill from from grief from emotional pain and 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 I was and, and I can remember throwing up and being sick and, and just feeling lost and, and I can remember the next week or so losing about 15 pounds because I, I just couldn't eat and I couldn't function well. So it was a really hard time for me and, and, and I'm sure for her as well. It just seems so incredibly unfair that anyone should have to go through all of those things at once. I, I mean, I just can't think of many situations where you're forced to completely you know, upend every aspect of your life completely, literally from the ground up, and to do it basically alone. I mean, that's just, I I mean, that's... So courageous. It is above and beyond. Right? Uh, yeah. Amazing. So, Rachel, some, some good came out of um, the ending of the relationship. Sometimes when doors close, new ones open. And you were able to meet a very special person in your life now. Can you tell us about her? Yeah, I um, yeah, I think a lot of good things happened from transitioning. Um, it was just a matter of getting through the difficult times. I, I met uh, my girlfriend, Katie. She was very open to my gender transition and didn't have any issues with it. It just really saw the person I started a beautiful relationship which I'm still in so yeah there's there are positive things that come out it's just it's it's a uh, it's it's hard getting through though so ultimately um, you decided to leave law enforcement was your experience after your transition um, behind that or can you tell us about that? Let me tell you some of the things that I I noticed. Okay, so transitioning in the workplace really isn't just about being a transgender person. It's about being a woman in the workplace. Right. Um, My office was located next to 
uh, conference room. And, and shortly after I transitioned, my job was changed and from a leadership job uh, to uh, a projects and management type of job. Did you and, see that um, coming at all before your trend? Like, did you even think that was a possibility before your transition? Or If I had not transitioned, that probably would have never happened. But hmm. in transitioning, I, 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 I figured that something like that might happen. Wow. So I was transferred into this job. A couple of things happened during the job. Now, I started this amazing program at the jail and um, got a lot of awards and I recently did a TED talk on it. We were a, a very progressive uh, a jail and, 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 and did good work. And there were other people from other law enforcement agencies that wanted to come and see our jail um, so that they could model what they were doing. And uh, I can remember uh, a, a group of people from Kansas coming several different times, and I wasn't invited to any of the meetings. It, in fact, one of my subordinates was. So my, my, my boss did, did not invite me because I, I believe that people feel that we're an embarrassment, that transgender people are an embarrassment, and somehow stain them as well or disappoint them and, and don't want us around. Or, or don't want us to be. I mean, I, and so that was probably one of the first experiences that I, I really felt slighted. I, I can remember that um, in my new, new job, this conference room was where uh, during lunchtime people would go and eat lunch. And when I was Michael, people, uh, other supervisors or, or executive people would say, hey, come bring your lunch in here and come have lunch. Um, I never really noticed that my friend Stacy wasn't invited. Uh, I did notice when I transitioned, and I was in, uh, no longer invited. Now, why is this important? Is this important because uh, I just feel bad because I'm not included? No, I, it's important because water call, water cooler talks and uh, golf games and, and uh, lunches are where decisions are made. Uh, promotions are decided. Uh, and how agencies are going to spend money in these informal uh, meetings. And when you're not allowed into those meetings as a woman, uh, you're not able to um, have a voice. No, you're and, literally and not that, getting a seat at the table. It's just fascinating, I, Rachel, that you have both perspectives. Because, I mean, I'm a woman in law enforcement as well, and I have a female perspective. But you have the, the gift, almost, that you get to see both sides. You saw Michael's invitations and then you saw Rachel's exclusions and I think that's you're in a really interesting position to comment on this mm -hmm. I mean, so transitioning in the workplace things like bathrooms and, and pronouns and, and we talk a lot about and I want to talk about bathrooms really quick but um, we talk about you know pronouns and uh, some people found it difficult to accept new pronouns and uh, others just didn't care. They just were going to use whatever pronoun they wanted to. That's something that I see in the community today and, and where you're treated differently. When people notice that you're a transgender person, uh, sometimes they'll use the pronoun they want to use, regardless of what is obviously the pronoun that would be appropriate. Or Were people, uh, people still calling you he at work? Some people were, yes, absolutely. At my wow. boss, I How can disrespectful. remember on several occasions and, and and people will always people will sometimes fall back on well you know i'm it's new and i'm just not used to it and in some case that the cases that's correct but there are other people that are, are, are saying it just because they have 
hate in their heart. Uh, and right. they want to determine what their world looks like, and, and, and they don't want you to determine what your world looks like. Was there anyone that really surprised you, that really just kind of got on board quickly and really embraced your transition that you wouldn't have expected? Well, there are several people. And, well, I noticed that I had a lot of employees coming to me, and I say a lot, probably four or five, who had children that were transgender. I, I never knew this. Hmm. It, it was almost a secret. Uh, there were there was a a uh, detective that worked at the city of Loveland, and uh, he used to work at the sheriff's office. And every time he came out to the jail, he and I saw him in the lobby or something like that. He would give me a hug. I don't know if people realize how powerful that is. Well, I'm sure that meant a lot. It meant a lot to me, and it really made a statement, you know, about, you know, how he viewed me and uh, as a person as my, in my transition. I met a few very brave people, the, the kinds of people that are throughout history have really done um, powerful things in, in the shadows. You know, they're the, the kind of people that, you know, hit people so they wouldn't be put on trains or associated themselves with um, people who were of a different nationality or race when it was unpopular, or protested um, when uh, other people's rights were being violated and theirs weren't being violated. There's, these people exist, there's not enough of them, but when you meet them, they're the ones that really helped me through this whole process. I'm getting all emotional now. You may, I'm getting, <laughs> you're making me emotional too, this is... It's it's so true what you're saying, and I'm sure that you know that detective, what it did for him as a father, to be able to see you, who you know you're obviously such a good person, such a kind person, and such an accomplished person. I'm sure that was incredibly comforting for him to know that that that's possible and that that's it's okay. No, no I was going to say something about bathrooms really quick. Yes. So the bathroom issue in this country. So a lot of my, what helped me through the transition was growing up black in America in the 60s and 70s uh, and all the racism that I faced when I was growing up. Uh, And I'm able to draw a parallel between that treatment and the treatment of people who um, are transgender in our society today. Uh, and, 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 And it really comes out in the whole issue of bathrooms. We don't want you to occupy space with us. We're going to villainize you. You're, you're dangerous. You might assault our children. And, and none of this information has any data to support. Uh, <laughs> there are many groups of people in this country that you could pick out, um, professional groups, that would be more prone to have a bathroom, or should have, maybe, not should, but could have a bathroom bill, rather than people that are transgender. Yeah, you're the uh, last person who's going to assault our children. I assume you're speaking right. about certain senators, that they should have. Right, right. You, could, right. You, you literally could say, well, all members of the Senate and Congress, can, they cannot use the bath, public bathroom. Due to their predatory and... <laughs> And back it up with data. You could actually back that up with some data. I'm sure you could. And and, and I'm saying it tongue-in-cheek because, of course, that would be unfair as well. But the the whole issue is ludicrous. It goes back to 
the, the idea of colored bathrooms in Jim Crow era, and that's something that I've seen in my lifetime. I'm old enough to have seen that. It's crazy. Um, and now to see it come back around, this is ludicrous. And most of the people that are making, want to make these laws and, and are, are bringing up these arguments have never been in a woman's bathroom. And <laughs> if they had, like, <laughs> absolutely nothing happens in a woman's bathroom. No. Um, there's not that atmosphere. And, and even with the argument, it's always about a woman's bathroom, but it's never about a men's bathroom. So, These women are so vulnerable, and we can't take care of ourselves right. when we go in the bathroom. Right, right. <laughs> have you had any bad experiences in the bathroom? I have not. I've never been tackled going in and out of the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I, I think no one, no one would tackle you. But I've had ex- other experiences. I've been cussed at on the street. I've been laughed at in public. I have been misgendered on purpose. So you are, uh, you're yeah. living in Telluride right now, which is a am, very homogenous place. It is. What's but it like to be there? The, the same experiences, you know, all the things that I listed happened here. Uh, and they certainly happen in bigger cities as well and um, are probably less acceptable in, in larger cities. But, yeah, there these things happen. People find you to be... Uh, some people find you to be the last unicorn. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, I found the last unicorn, so I, I need to document this in some way. Some people just find you to be aberrant or or, 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 or vile and, and want to let you know. Or some people think that you're a clown or a joke and, and they laugh openly in your face. At least one of these experiences happens every day. Really? Every day? Every day, Rachel? Oh, that makes me so sad. I just want to wrap my arms around you and protect you everywhere. And I think that also speaks to the strength of your character, that you stay. And we'll talk more about it in a minute, but that you continue to do really good work and that you don't let it stop you. Well, I think we have to. I read something the other day that Malcolm X said. He said, racism uh, is like a Cadillac. They put a new one out every year. And... um, (laughs) I, I think that racism and, and transphobia and, and classism and those things are all connected. I think we all have a responsibility because even though we may not feel the effects of Rachel Esser's getting cussed out at the store and tell you, right, it affects your society and it affects your culture and it affects your country. And we all have a responsibility to become a better uh, culture, better society something that hurts you is something that hurts me as well yes is there anything that you haven't done because of being transgender that you've thought it's just gonna be too hard for me to to do that well everything's hard because people have to get through the whole issues of gender so you know i'm a consultant now i have some expertise that falls outside of you know being a transgender person Um, But people have a hard time getting over the issues of gender. When I want to present, I have uh, uh, what I would title as a a very good idea on on modernizing our jails and the way that we manage uh, inmates. But getting a seat at the table and and getting my voice out is a little bit more difficult than it would have been as Michael. Right. Uh, Tell us about what you're doing now. So I I do two things. I, I, I do speak on gender for... 
uh, government groups, uh, private groups, uh, and I work as a correctional consultant. So I bring my 22 years of expertise to uh, jails and prisons and uh, uh, try to give them ideas on leadership and uh, management of inmates and processes. The biggest program that I worked on was the management of high security and admin segregation inmates. And I think that that is something that is a completely different way of looking at the way that we manage people in our jails today, a more humane way that we manage people. Of course, we have to let go of some of our our uh, old practices, and, and which includes, uh, you know, wanting a pound of flesh. Um, and we have to stop seeing uh, inmates as a product or, or, or just the term inmates and start seeing um, these people as, as, real, as human beings. And in doing so, not only can we make the experience of being in jail less of a negative one for them, we can improve our facilities, we can reduce our violence, um, we can reduce our costs. Uh, and all those things seem to make sense, but we have to get past our ego and past some of the older practices. So who's hiring you? Is it jails? Is it counties? Or I worked for myself as a private contractor, and I also worked for a group called the Moss Group, and uh, it's run by a lady named Andy Moss, and um, she's amazing. Uh, she is uh, a um, corrections uh, um, longtime uh, uh, corrections administrator and, and, and trainer, uh, and runs a organization, her organization out of uh, Washington D.C. So I've recently been able to visit New York and Washington to do work with them. They're a marvelous organization, and I really appreciate them uh, reaching out to me and, and putting me to work. I just want to know, what is your favorite thing since you've transitioned? Like, what has felt like the most liberating? Was there a moment when you were just like, this is what it means to be a woman? I think so many things. I mean, being a woman, <laughs> I think there's just so many things. I, I'm writing a book, and, and the title is Everything Hurts. Because uh, uh, I think in a woman's life, everything can hurt. And, and that doesn't always mean a negative thing, but I think a woman's life is difficult. And, and it also is the reason that women are so strong. I like the community of women. I like, I found that as, as Michael in the male world, there's a hierarchy and, and one guy stands on the table and, and yells at everyone else and they either nod their head or leave the room. And I think that uh, in organizations and social groups uh, have more women, that there's a tendency to uh, really uh, share information uh, more effectively. Uh, and and to hear and to understand and to learn. Uh, and I'm not saying that men can't do these things, but I, I just find that to be such a positive part of a, a female culture. And to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, this is who I really am now, that I don't have to carry this armor around anymore. And I... I can be myself. I think that's amazing. There's, you know, defining what a woman is is so hard. I, I think, um, y- you know, we want to use very soft phrases sometimes to, to define women, but I don't know if that's completely fair because I think stronger phrases like strength and, and conviction and those things are, are equally applied to women or should be. And I think it's just because of the example that you just gave. Women have a very different kind of strength 
you know, that we earn through having those experiences of being excluded, having to work harder to prove ourselves, seeing injustices happen almost constantly and having to decide, do I speak up on that or do I let this one go? I do think that you develop strength through that. And there's a price to pay for that. Right. Um, I, I can remember as Michael, I could bring up some really challenging or, or innovative ideas in an executive meeting and people would just start nodding their heads, yes, we need to do that. And I can remember um, coming into the same rooms with the same people as Rachel and not having that voice anymore. And realizing that I had to work before and after the meeting if I had an idea that I wanted to, to, to get across to find other people who are willing to assist me in doing this. I love that. I love that you can share that. That's incredible. Rachel, not to get too personal, but you're now, you're also, not only are you a woman, but you're also a lesbian woman. Um, <laughs> and I think that people often get sexuality and gender confused. And they think that if you're a transgender woman that you must like men. But that for you, that's not the case. What is it? Has it been a new experience being a lesbian or does it just feel kind of like I mean you've always been with women tell us about that it feels different because the relationships are different because I'm having a relationship with a woman as a woman right which is different than having a relationship as a man with a woman because now you're running to the feelings (laughs) right instead of running away from the feelings there was a I think as a man and and I'm purely speaking from my experiences because they're not um, necessarily representative of everyone's. But as a man, I thought in a lot of relationships, men can stand off and um, kind of watch things happen. There are certain things that men can say, well, you know, not me. I, I, that's not my, that I don't do that, or that's not my responsibility. And I'm not talking about just pass around the house. I'm talking about um, some emotional connections. And I think that when um, there are two women, not only do you have I have this closeness. I have someone else who understands me and how I feel. That's that's pretty amazing to have someone who has a shared experience. Yeah, if you will. So yeah, I think that people do get that mix up with um, the idea of uh, um, orientation and gender. You know, gender is who I am. I'm a woman. And, you know, my orientation is who I like or, you know, who I, I want to be intimate with or, you know, who I love. Right. And, and so one of the big experiences for me in, in this whole process is that, you know, you kind of lose everything in transitioning. And there are times you feel like you're on a cord floating on the ocean because there are women that say, well, I don't. And I'm not I'm generalizing, but there are women, some women that say, well, I don't want this transgender person in a woman's world because they're really a man and they really shouldn't be in a woman's world. And they're men, they're saying, I don't want this person around me because they make me feel uncomfortable and awkward and they're traitors to their own gender. And so, and they're, they're lesbians that say, well, this person, you know, is not really a lesbian because they're transgender. And so there's so many times when you feel just alone yeah. in, right. in the world. That you don't have a tribe, you don't have a group, you don't have, you know, acceptance that is 
you know, that other people take for granted. Rachel, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Just keep moving forward. I, I remember my father telling me that, uh, that uh, no matter how bad or no matter how hard, you know, set your jaw and just, uh, I don't know if people set their jaws anymore, but, uh, uh, or even use that phrase. Someone is Googling it or on Wikipedia right now. But um, yeah, you just keep moving forward and no matter what the adversity is. And I was taught growing up as uh, African-American in this country that I had to be better and, than my peers to be successful. I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, have a, a C or a B at school. I had to have an A. I had to be outstanding. I couldn't be just good or average. Um, right. to be seen to be seen as good rabbits. I had to be absolutely outstanding and um, that was something that was instilled in me very early that I didn't have the luxury of just kind of walking through life and, and not doing everything at a hundred percent. So talking about support system, who is your support system? Who are the people that you rely on now? Well right now it's um, my girlfriend. she is Katie and is amazing. She's here for me. I can bounce uh, my thoughts and feelings off of her. I have two other people that have been supportive that were unexpected, which were Katie's parents. And both of them were, one is past, her father's past, but our elderly people, our father's a retired doctor, and her mother worked in the medical field as well. And um, very conservative, very religious, um, but very accepting. They never balked at the idea of having me over to their house or, you know, to um, vacation with them or travel with them or talk with them. Unexpected, but felt very good, very, very positive. I'm sure that's got to be just a relief and... It must feel so good. Yeah. Right. All right, Rachel. Do you have anything else that you want to share with our listeners or... I do. I, I think that we have a responsibility to be accepting in our, our society and, and and it's hard it was hard for us uh, as a us as, a, as a, a country to accept women into the workplace and and you know when, when that happened was happening you know we were talking about well where are they going to go to the bathroom and if they're in a factory what, what kind of clothes will they wear and, and this kind of ridiculousness and how are we going to pay them and you know, we have a history in this country of uh, uh, interning Japanese Americans because they look different. We didn't inter uh, Italian Americans, we didn't inter uh, German Americans, but we interred um, Japanese Americans. We have a history of not allowing African Americans to use the same um, facilities and have jobs and live in the same neighborhoods. And now um, the conversation has turned to. Uh, Latino Americans and Latinos and, and immigrants to this country and and um, wanting to bar them from access and, and to treat them as if they are, are something that is tearing down our society. And, and I would say it's the opposite. I'd say that our immigrants and our women and, and everybody, these are people that are building our society or making us stronger, making us better people. And I think that there is a um, history will we'll, we'll tell the tale of um, how we weren't true to ourselves when we when we treated um, these people poorly. 
So I, I just ask everyone to um, to to really uh, not just treat people the way that you want to be treated, but treat them the way that they want to be treated. And it's interesting because Portia and I both have young kids and you know at at my son's school there are transgender kids there are there's a lot of things going on and i think kids notice these things and we get to have these conversations but it's also really complicated for kids to understand exactly what it means to be gay or to be transgender and so the one thing that you know we talk a lot about is when you're a kid even if it's something that you don't really understand your job is just to pay attention to how other people are treated. You know, if you see a teacher who has who picks favorites and they're always girls, or if you see someone who is not picked for teams or whatever it is, to just be paying attention to how people are treated. Because I think even just going out into the world each day and being open to seeing that, you do start to notice things, big and small, and it can't, you can't help but have that change your perspective. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely agree. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. We could just talk to you all day. And <laughs> if you're open to it, I would think we would love to have you back at some point. And well, well, come see me in Telluride sometime. We that's will. what we were angling for. Oh, that's that's you're open to it. We're going to come stay with you and Katie. <laughs> that's absolutely. right. We're going to do a whole series with you. All right. Well, thank you again, Rachel Esters. And you can go to our website, womeninadaypodcast.com. You can read more about Rachel. You can see some photos and um, find out how you can get in touch with her. And thank you so much to our editor, Tony Tarbox, and to Hillary Blair, who does the intro for Women in a Day podcast, and to all of our listeners. Please, 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 if you like this podcast, download it download the episodes it helps out and please rate us thank you so much have a great day and see you later